This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How's Greg? Hey, Greg. It's Jamie and Amy. Hi. Hi, Jamie and Amy. That rhymes. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Amy. And I'm Jamie. And this is Clever. Today, we're talking to skater, designer, entrepreneur, Greg Benson of Lull Designs. Over there at Lull, they live by the words of the wise Bob Dylan. If something's not right, it's wrong. Which got us thinking about the sayings that are important to our lives and work. And I love that saying, that Bob Dylan saying, because it speaks to such a level of quality, right? It's, it's like there's a real line in the sand between whether it's good enough to go out into the world or whether it isn't. What kind of things do you live by, Jamie? Well, I actually have two. So the first one is nothing worth doing is ever easy, which I think is so true because everything like parenthood, exercise, eating healthy, working really hard, you know, building a business, all of those things are difficult. But, you know, the payoff is is great. It's greater in the end. So it's, it's worthwhile. I mean, Obviously, it's worthwhile, but I'm interested in the nature between how hard it is and what the payoff is, because I think the payoff is is usually in the confidence that you've built, having pushed yourself past your limits. You know, when something's hard, exercising, eating healthy, you may lose weight, you may feel more toned, but I think under all of that is this confidence that you are the one in control of the outcome there. Also, there's a bit of pride there, too. Just proud of yourself for working so hard and having such a good work ethic. Yeah. I mean, thinking about people who run marathons and stuff, I mean, a lot of them don't care if they come in first or second or have amazing time. They're just happy to do it. And they're proud of themselves in the end. Are you proud of yourself? I am proud of myself. I have not run a marathon, though. All right. (laughs) And I don't have any plans to do so. Nothing worth doing is ever easy. Run a marathon. (laughs) That's not my slogan, so I don't have to run a marathon. Yeah, no thanks. (laughs) Me neither. What about you, Amy? Well, I thought you had two. Oh, I do. I have another one. Okay. This one is more of an artistic, creative one. Um, So Chuck Close said, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. I love that, especially when it comes to making things, because sometimes You know, you sit around waiting for a spark of inspiration or creativity to come to you in like a flash or a dream or whatever. And that's not always how it works. I mean, sometimes you just have to sit down 
and draw for hours and hours and hours. And maybe you throw out 90% of those drawings, but maybe there's 10% that you can utilize. And so, you know, it's just the idea of just buckling down and doing what you do best. And even if it's not all genius or all like a masterpiece in the end, you'll eventually stumble upon something that's usable. Well, I think the inspiration also comes when you're engaged in the activity, right? If you're sitting around waiting for it to happen before you get to work, then there is no start point necessarily. That inspiration may or may not come. But if you start working first, almost guaranteed that inspiration will come during the process of being engaged. And bonus, you got some shit done, right? Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a few things that I live by. The, The one that comes to top of mind is the very, very cliche, but very true measure twice, cut once. Or if you're me, it's measure three or four times and then cut uh, once. <laughs> well, hey, it's still, that's still in the spirit of the saying, right? It's basically like, think it through carefully before you fuck it up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to get in so much trouble for doing that because people would get impatient because it would seem as though I was taking a long time to get started. But in my defense... I was thinking through so many of the transitions and the issues that could arise, especially in building a piece of furniture or creating an artwork, how I wanted it to come together and what was going to happen in this event or that event. And and by thinking it through so carefully, then when it came time to execute, I was already really firm on how to make decisions. You know, nothing ever goes according to plan. But because I had thought it through so carefully, I already knew how to answer everything that came up. Right. Because I was so firm and and I don't mean inflexible. I just mean I was so dialed in and where I wanted this to go that all the decision making that came up on the fly was very easy, which meant the execution went a lot faster because I had done all that pre thinking. Hmm. Yeah. And pre measuring because there ain't no board stretcher. (laughs) (laughs) Old man woodworking humor for you. All right, so back to Greg Benson. Greg is the founder and CEO of Lol Designs, which makes outdoor furniture for the modern lollygagger. But this furniture company has an unusual origin story. Before he got into the furniture business, Greg and his partners founded True Ride, a company that built custom skate parks all over the world. That sounds like a pretty cool job. Totally. (laughs) He's going to tell us all about it. So from a diehard commitment to ecology and a desire to repurpose the excess material generated from manufacturing those skate parks, LOL and its sister company, Epicurean Cutting Boards, were born. Ever the entrepreneurs, they've also founded a distribution company, Intextural, that distributes eco-friendly architectural sheet goods. LOL is probably one of the most well-known consumer outdoor furniture brands in the modern arena. Their products are modern, fun, innovative, and versatile, from an Adirondack chair that's made with recycled plastic to more streamlined designs, including a recent collaboration that launched last year with super talented designers Brad Ascalon and Guylaine Vinyas. Greg himself is a family man, an outdoorsman, an ecologist, philanthropist, and all-around nice guy. In fact, he's the kind of guy you'd want to have a beer and sit around lollygagging with. So here you go, our talk with Greg Benson. Where we live, we call it the Zenith City. So I'm at the Zenith, I think. That's here. pretty cool. Yeah, I like I like the word Zenith. You know, we really see in Duluth, and I'll probably talk about Duluth too much, but we really feel that we're in the north. 
And when people say, oh, you're in the Midwest, and I'm just like, I just, like, I've never related to that my whole life. You know, because to me, like, I don't know, when you think of the Midwest, what do you think of? Well, I'm from Michigan, so I think of Detroit. Yeah, I mean, we're just kind of up around <laughs> the corner, you know, we're just up further. And, I, and we're right in the middle of the United States, and we just thought, we just kind of feel like we're up north. But I don't know, anyway, so the Zenith City kind of comes from that a little bit, too. And we are the furthest point north in the USA. Oh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, there's this little top hat, we call it, on the top of Minnesota. And it's this little corner that's the highest point, northernest, hmm. most point. And Duluth was a choice, right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a little different climate. It feels different. Again, you know, the up north. Growing up in Minneapolis, you could get out of Minneapolis, but not too far and sort of be away and be closer to the woods. Lake Superior is really amazing. Uh, It's just a really interesting body of water. You know, I mean, I grew up here and I wanted to be close to home. Mm -hmm. This was sort of it. And I love Minneapolis too. That's a great city. But this is just uh, a little more remote than that. A little, little smaller. And you're an, an avid outdoorsman, right? So you get to take advantage of Lake Superior and the terrain and biking, running, all of that stuff? We have 800 feet of elevation from the lake up to the highest points. And so when a lot of people think, oh, you're Minnesota, it's flat. And there are parts of Minnesota that are flat, but there's parts that are very hilly. I wouldn't say mountainous, but yeah, it, it kind of looks, you know, like small mountains anyway. And we have exposed bedrock. And so mountain biking, cross-country skiing, you know, there's rock climbing here with the, the crags that we have, the exposed rock. And, and it's just a really unique topography. And then a lot of lakes. You can leave Duluth and within, you know, minutes, you're just out, you're out, out of town and kind of in the, in the woods. And, and that kind of that access to the, you know, the, the really easy access. You don't have to get in a car and drive real far. You know, you can actually leave from your house, like on foot or on a bike. So that's pretty nice. Mm. Sounds a little bit like paradise. Well, yeah, maybe I'm painting that picture. But, you know, <laughs> from Minneapolis, it's a little tough to get that. And it's just a little easier. And, and Lake Superior is, it's just a big lake. So you, you don't really mess around with it. If you're sailing out there or boating, or you have to be cautious and watch the weather. Yeah, it's, it's big enough to make you feel small. It, yeah, it's, it's big enough where you could die basically. Right. And, and you, yeah. And, and you feel small. I'm just going to bring the conversation back to the beginning. Cause you mentioned that you grew up in Minnesota, but, um, yep. not in Duluth, right? Where, where in Minnesota did you grow up? I grew up in a suburb just South of Minneapolis called Bloomington, mm-hmm. um, which when I grew up, when I grew up, Bloomington was kind of that, it's that first ring of suburbs around Minneapolis. And there were, Farm fields, cows, farms with windmills, ponds, you know, it wasn't quite the urban sprawl that we have now. So if you go to Bloomington now, it's a little different, but mm-hmm. it was a really great place to grow up with. Again, you know, access to those things I just <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> As a young boy, we had a lot of great playgrounds, you know, that were close to home. You could catch snakes, frogs, turtles, all that stuff. And you know, I look back at it and I just think, you know, it wasn't city, it wasn't urban, but it's really changed. You know, there's, there aren't cows and windmills and things like that anymore there. 
Why did your parents land in Bloomington? Did they commute to Minneapolis or what did they do for work? Yeah, it just wasn't that far. Originally, my dad was a teacher, kind of another outlying suburb. And my mom was an occupational therapist. They went to high school together. They grew up in a town of a thousand people. Wow. And they ended up both going to school in Minneapolis and then just ended up staying up there, probably because of opportunity, you know, in a Mm -hmm. town of a thousand people, there wasn't that much. And then, you know, I think they bought their first house for like $15,000. Oh, man. Something like that. (laughs) And it's just classic, you know, a little rambler neighborhood. Did you have brothers and sisters? Like, where were you in the pecking order? I'm the middle. Okay. So a younger brother and an older brother. And we were all pretty close. My older brother and I are 11 months apart. He, He lives in LA, actually. And and my younger brother, about almost four years younger. And you guys started that, that first business, which was a skate ramp building company, right? Yeah. You and your younger brother started that together years ago? Yep. It was Dave, my brother Dave, and then our friend Tony Cardelli. So three of us, we were all three from Bloomington. So Rollerblade Inc., the, the founder of Rollerblade, it's the Olsons. They weren't, weren't my neighbors, but they were a mile from my house. And they started rollerblade skates in their garage. And this was, would have been, in, I don't know, like 78 or something like that. And, and so here's these guys with these hockey skates with wheels on them. And as a kid, you know, you were just sort of drawn to that. Yeah, and it, totally. And it was really a hockey thing. And, you know, Minnesota's the state of hockey and everybody skates. I, I, you know, I would see these guys skating on these skates with the wheels in line and it just looked interesting. And there was really no social tie. Like it didn't have any sexuality or social ties to it. It was mm-hmm. just like a skate, which mm-hmm. I think things changed with that. But myself and a lot of other people I know ended up getting involved with Rollerblade, the company. And I, I actually worked for them in Southern California for two years. Doing? The Southern California sales rep was one of my closest friends and still is. His name's Chris Morris. And he... uh was the rep down there and he, he did a lot of events. So he wasn't just a rep. He was, or, or he was a super rep, I guess you'd say, cause he put on events. This was when I was about 26 probably, but I drove a truck to San Francisco for my dad's business. Like I was delivering trucks around the country. They build these utility trucks, you know, the power lines and mm-hmm. the guy gets in the, with the boom truck where you go up and work on the. Yeah. The, he went from being a teacher to being a utility truck guy? Well, yeah, my dad decided he couldn't make any money being a teacher, so he went and worked for a company that built these utility trucks. And then they would need these trucks delivered, and usually to government or power, you know, utilities, the companies that would own these trucks. And, and so I, that was a really great job. I was in college or not in college, and I would drive a truck somewhere like York, Pennsylvania, or, you know, somewhere in Iowa or Florida, it was just road tripping all the time. Yeah, sounds like an ideal job. I've really driven all over the country. But so I drove this truck to, uh, it was an Air Force military truck. And I drove it to California, to San Francisco, and delivered it. And then my friend was in Southern California, so I flew down there. And Rollerblade was blowing up. So this was in 1989. Mm-hmm. And it was just completely going crazy. and. He had this stack of pink slips on his desk because he couldn't ship product. Like all these retailers were carrying the skates and they were were sold out of them and they couldn't get them. This was kind of early spring. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, well, you know, I'm 
done with school for the, the year, you know, for the summer. He's like, why don't, you, why don't you stay here and work with me? And I'm like, all right. So my first job was he handed me the stack of pink clips and said, here, start calling people and tell them six to eight weeks, <laughs> you know, to get the skate. So he gave you the dirty work to do, basically. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, I'll do that. It was a great opportunity. And I hadn't spent that much time in Southern California. And, and we would drive all over, you know, go to retailers and, and we'd train the staff on, you know, how to skate and also just about the skates, you know, bearings and wheels and whatnot. And part of that was we'd do these events where we'd set up a half pipe, mm-hmm. you know, we'd build small ramps, we'd set up a half pipe and, and that was kind of fun. So I was skating ramps and doing that, but that wasn't like my, my main thing. You know, we were also going backpacking in the Sierra Nevadas and sailing and, and whatnot. So it wasn't like we were skaters, you know, even though we worked mm-hmm. for rollerblade, but it was just kind of part of our whole recreational yeah. thing. We skied, you know, we've always skied. Um, Minnesota's a great place for that with the snow. And when we go do these, these events, there would always be a horde of kids showing up and they'd all say, we need skate ramps. And we kept hearing this over and over and over. And in the meantime, we had brought my brother in. Mm -hmm. And so the three of us kind of said, you know, everywhere we go and we set up a ramp, you know, a hundred kids show up and they all say they need, they need ramps. We were kind of tired of driving all over the country. And we said, why don't we go back to Minneapolis and start a company building skate ramps for cities? That's how it started. And so we did. We had no jobs, no no money, and, and we just started building this company one job at a time. And, you know, originally we got a job with a local city, and we built an escape park. And then we got, you know, two cities, and we built two parks. And it just kept growing until we had, at the end there, 50 employees, and we had built 450 skate parks, you know, all over the country. We were doing U.S. military bases, so we did one in Italy. In Italy. Whoa, wow. in Japan. Yeah, the Japan job was awesome. We basically lived in Yokota, Japan for two weeks, building a skate park. You know, we'd build everything modular and then we'd ship it all in parts. And then it was really putting it together, but you're still doing carpentry on site. Then, of course, we didn't want to travel anymore, but the travel kept going. That's how Epicurean got started, yeah? That's what McCurian started. So we, we kind of, we looked around, we're like, you know, you can't buy these, this material as a cutting board in a retail store. And by this time with True Ride, we had figured out some branding. You know, we knew how to, how to brand ourselves. So we developed this line of cutting boards. We called the company Epicurean. And we just literally went to like the kitchen store in Duluth. Because we, you know, we started that company in Minneapolis, but we loved Duluth so much that we said, well, and we needed space. Like we always have needed space. So we said, let's move up to Duluth instead of moving further out of Minneapolis to get, you know, shop space. Mm-hmm. So we basically, we brought these cutting boards, like right before the holidays, we brought them to this kitchenware store in Duluth and they just sold them immediately. And they're like, they're calling us, Hey, I need more of those. <laughs> so then we went, you know, we kept it opening stores. We went to Minneapolis to the store called the kitchen window, which is really a well-known specialty kitchen store in Minneapolis. And then there was uh, Cooks of Crocus Hill was another one down there. And, and they were selling like crazy. And then one of the bigger breaks, my sister-in-law worked at Crate and Barrel and I sent her some boards. She got them to their cutting board buyer Nice. and they ended up taking them. So it just kind of kept snowballing like that. So the, yeah, the cutting boards really took off. And my, 
my brother and Tony, um, it was really like a labor of love for them. They love to cook. They oh, like cool. the whole thing. They got in the the industry, you know, the housewares industry, and it, and they're still doing it, you know, to this day. And and what happened is they took off with that Epicurean after like that first year. We all three were working on it, but then they really ran with it. They initiated the cutting boards. I didn't didn't you know come up with that whole concept. And but what I was working on was an Adirondack chair, and that's that's where law came out of. So we just kind of naturally started making things we were interested in, I guess. Where did the design part come? I, I don't know. As a, as a kid, I, I really liked to draw. Mm-hmm. And I think that was it. And I, and I wouldn't say I'm just this amazing drawer, but I, I can, I can translate, you know, and, and if someone looks at something, I can, you know, draw a cube in 3d and I just like to draw. So I think that was part of it. But additionally, building skate parks, for 10 years and we made them all from scratch right away. We draw the ramp shapes and then we'd cut it out with a jigsaw and we kind of clean up that the template and then we could hand router the rest of the ramps out of that, you know, so you, you get the same ramp shape mm-hmm. and we really did it all on paper and that turned into 3d modeling and I don't do the 3d modeling. I, I don't do it on the computer, but I can draw it and then someone else can draw it on the computer. And, and so, doing the skate ramps for 10 years. And if you look at what true ride is doing, especially towards the end, that they're really sculptural ramps. You know, I think anyone would appreciate it. They'd look at it and go, Oh, that's, that's a really cool forms and shapes. And like, so I, I obviously had some aptitude towards design, but then applying it for 10 years, it was easy then to just move on to the next thing. And I really understood the materials we were using. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, not, that's a huge part of design. You know, Adirondack chairs weren't really made out of a four by eight sheet. They were made out of dimensional lumber. Yeah. And so inherently it was just a different looking chair because we made it out of a sheet. So you were just doing all that other stuff during the day and then working on the chair at night or weekends or something like no, that? No, we, we just, I just, it was all during the day. Did your success building skate ramps and then also your initial success with the cutting boards in the housewares industry, did that give you enough gumption to figure you could make a break into the furniture industry too? Well, yeah. You know what? Our joke is we say the outdoor furniture industry or just the furniture industry, they left the back door open and we walked in and we're standing in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, because we didn't know. I don't think Epicurean knew what they were doing. As far as the industry goes mm-hmm. and law, we, we didn't know what we were doing with the industry. And, but we came in with that naivete and we had a product that was unique. So, mm-hmm. you know, cutting boards, you couldn't buy that. You couldn't buy a rich like cutting board, you know, a material, this thin paper phenolic board, like you just, it wasn't available. And so we came in with this new material. It was really, it was interesting. It was thin. You could put it in the dishwasher. It worked. And we had a, a unique shape, you know, instead of just a rectangle, <laughs> we added radiuses on the top and bottom, and that was unique. And then with the chair, like we really started with the Adirondack chair and we, we refined it until it got to the chair that DWR sells, our three slat, we call it, because it has three slats in the back. Mm-hmm. But that, that DWR, Design Within Reach, Adirondack chairs, that was the chair. I wanted to say our iconic chair, but I think we have others now that are to me, just as iconic, but, but that became like the lol chair. And, and I think the, 
acknowledgement of that was when, when DWR took that chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that must have been pretty exciting. It was really exciting. And we had all these other chairs that I thought were more unique because they were, you know, they weren't an Adirondack chair. But I think people were so drawn to that. And that's what, you know, I think both Epicurean and Law were pulled into these markets because we had a product that people liked. We didn't set out necessarily right away. We were just messing around. You know, we branded these and we went for it. You know, we went to the trade shows. We we showed the products. Uh, and that's how we met DWR was at a trade show in San Francisco, um, the first dual and design show. That's how you met DWRs at the first Dwell and Design show? Yeah, the first they they were showing the Airstream that Chris Deem did uh-huh. for Airstream and they they sold and they put our chairs black three flat Adirondacks around that Airstream and we met a guy named Ben Gaffney who ended up at DWR. He was already there, but he ended up becoming their outdoor furniture buyer and we had beers with him in the Airstream. Yes. And a couple years, couple years later, he called us up. He's like, "Hey guys, send me a couple chairs, you know." And, and I didn't think he'd want the Adirondack chair, but that was the black three flat was kind of this chair that was really a great chair. Um, I'm guessing a part of your success too has also been that you guys have done a lot of this manufacturing in house, right? So oh, when orders all, start, all of it, yeah. So when orders start coming in for for a design that you guys have produced, you don't have to worry. I mean, you still have vendors and things that you need to deal with, but yeah, you've yeah. got your manufacturing kind of all dialed in. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're at such a higher level now than we've ever been. Yeah. It's really, it's different now, but we've always been fortunate on the law side. We've just, we make to order. We don't inventory. So, you know, we like to make stuff. So we have, you know, 200 plus different products that we've designed and we have available, but we don't have them sitting on shelves. You know, when someone buys it, we make it. Yeah, that sounds really smart. Well, it's smart until you get really busy and then your lead time becomes eight weeks and then people stop buying it because they don't want to wait eight weeks. Oh, yeah, I guess so that, that would that, be a drama. So that's kind of the, cha- that's the challenge with that. But we, we've changed things up a little bit uh, recently. We're, we're starting to inventory our best sellers and that hopefully will, will help with that. That makes sense. What I was kind of getting at is that all three of them have a similar ethos, right? I mean, you guys are, are yeah. and you specifically have a really strong commitment to being eco-friendly and to the environment. I read that you guys capture the heat from your manufacturing processes to heat your yeah. your plant yeah. in the winter. You yeah. give like 1% of your gross sales back to environmental organizations and you're a good boss. Like you've, you've worked really hard to set plans in place to keep your employees happy and well taken care of. Where does this all come from? Yeah, it's probably Minnesota nice a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, but but not everybody here is, is is like that. But I mean, certainly on the environmental side, it goes back to a teacher I had in high school, Tom Hayden, and he had an environmental studies class. And you know, we'd do things like go out and get acorns, and then we'd soak them in a creek, and then we'd go back to the class and grind them into flour and make pancakes. Oh man, that you know? sounds so and, fun. And, <laughs> I know he did crazy stuff where we go morel mushroom hunting, you know, or we'd mm-hmm. go learn about trees. We, but we also, that was when the ecology movement started. So we were learning about ecology and learning about, you know, saving gas. Like he, he would do these events where you'd get one gallon of gas and you had a bunch of people with cars uh-huh. everyone got a gallon and then they'd see who could go the furthest mm. on the gallon. And, you know, and it's just like, I haven't heard of a race like that 
sense, but he was very important to me in instilling this sense, you know, of the environment and our impact on it. And that, that never left, you know, so I had, that was like 11th grade and 12th grade. I was just obsessed with his classes. And, and then when I went on to school, I really was drawn towards any kind of environmental study, you know, and learning more. And, and I really didn't know. I went to three different schools in Minnesota, and I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I finally figured out, you know, I was doing literature, and then I was studying geography, and I wanted to write. You know, so I wanted to write about the environment in more of like a fiction, you know, like Edward Abbey, you know, mm. stories. And I was, and I, I didn't end up doing that. Of course, my English is not that good. My grammar is really not that good. So I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. But, you know, but it's still that trance. Certainly that whole desire that I had, you know, my, my perspective on the environment has transferred into our products and then the, and the company, you know, we have, we have always had a saying, if it's not right, it's wrong. I like that. We got it from Bob Dylan. Okay. Well, I got to give Bob credit for that one. And, um, and so we, we really use that the whole time we, and, and it really, it started with looking at a ramp. If we built a ramp and we had this eighth inch tolerance, but if something wasn't right, we'd say, well, if it's not right, it's wrong. And you'd have to fix it. Yeah. And, you know, rebu- rebuild the ramp or make it right. You know, almost 20 years later, this is our 19th year and people here know it, you know, it was real. It wasn't this phony motto. It was like, if it's not right, it's wrong. And it's a guideline, you know, on everything that we're trying to do here. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Clever is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. A recent episode took Brad to Venice, where he connected with Eve Ubelman, a partner whose company, Econem, has developed a game-changing technique for creating digital architectural models so comprehensive they've been dubbed twins. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone-captured photography and powerful AI to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. On Tools and Weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, clever listeners, we're getting excited for New York Design Week in May. This year will be better than ever. ICFF, North America's leading platform for contemporary design, will take place from May 19th to the 21st at the Javits Center in New York City. I'll be there, and I'm excited to let you know how Clever is collaborating with ICFF for Launchpad at Wanted, formerly known as Wanted Design Manhattan, and the Emerging Designer Showcase. Launchpad is an international platform for emerging designers that introduces new concepts and showcases prototypes of furniture, home accessories, and lighting. It is the best place for manufacturers to meet new designers, discover fresh ideas, and potential products to develop. The best of Launchpad winners will be selected by a jury of renowned industry professionals led by yours truly. And they will go on to be featured in another edition of the popular Emerging Designers Showcase. I'll be leading the Emerging Designers Showcase live on the talk's main stage, where the five Launchpad finalists will have a chance to present their projects to our esteemed panel of professionals. It's always a really good time. So mark your calendars for Sunday, May 19th at 4 p.m. Both Launchpad and the Emerging Designer Showcase are presented with media partners Clever, that's us, and Design Milk, and with support from American Standard and Lumens. Visit icff.com to learn more and register to attend. Those are the letters icff.com. Come by and say hi. I would love to see you there. Support for Clever comes from Wix Studio. Instead of reading you another, let's be honest, boring ad script, Wix Studio just sent me this wild-looking Alice in Wonderland-themed website to scroll through and tell you about. So, whoa. This is not the web I'm used to. There's something called Mouse Parallax, which makes it feel like you can go deeper into the screen. And as I scroll down, it's like I'm falling down the rabbit hole. And things are moving in depth and perspective. Even my cursor has morphed into a glowing little orb. There are all these no-code animations that make this place feel organic and alive. And Alice is wearing some pretty cool shoes, by the way. Okay, I know I'm mixing up my narratives now, but we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. Your turn to go down the rabbit hole. Build your next web project on Wix Studio, the platform for agencies and enterprises. So part of the quality product, though, I want to acknowledge is is the aesthetics. Like, your products are beautiful, and a lot of that is straight from your mind, right? I mean, you're an in-house designer. I know you collaborate, and you work with other designers as well. It's a team, and um, we have this fictitious uh, designer. His name's Julian Frost. Uh-huh. Julian Frost is the master designer, and now the cat's out of the bag. I, you know, <laughs> I, I just let it go. But, you know, really, it's a it's very collaborative and we, we make something even if I start with the sketch you know, I'm I'm not going to take credit with that because like this bike rack we're making it was something I sketched. Mm-hmm. But it's so different at the end, you know, than what I sketched because sure. we, we make one and then we refine it and refine it. A benefit of us manufacturing ourselves right here is we can prototype all day. Mm-hmm. And if we were making it somewhere else, if we were just designers having these products made in China, you know, the prototyping process would be so slow. And if you're if you're looking at pictures of it, you know, or on the computer, it's not the same. So we can take something and really 
we can we can make a lot of progress on a design in a day. And we still do the same thing. Like our Adirondack chair isn't the same one, you know, that we made 10 years ago. We keep evolving that chair, you know, like it, it used to be, you saw all the, the fasteners, you know, we screwed right through the surface, just mm-hmm. like any other chair you saw. And I still remember I was in San Francisco at a trade show. Everything we, originally everything we made was black because all the skate ramps, you know, our, our ramps were always black. Mm-hmm. And for a lot, for good reasons too. It was just durable and it, it looked good. You know, we wanted, we wanted an edgy product, but so all the waste was black. So our, everything we made was black and there was all these stainless steel screws in all the chairs. It was in San Francisco at this green fest or something. And I remember standing there and I sort of had this trippy moment and it was, they looked like a bunch of fish eyes looking at me, all these fasteners and they were random, you know? And I'm like, we got to get rid of these fish eyes. Like (laughs) we got to get rid of these, these screws. Like, so then it became, you know, obsessed with hiding fastening and hiding (laughs) fasteners which is really common in the, you know, in indoor furniture. You don't want to see a bunch of screws. Yeah. Well, the system we have that we've developed, it's a little block and it works with a brass insert and there's a pocket in this little block and a bolt and they all just sort of fit together and it's all underneath the chair. And that's a system that we just kept working on and and now it's in everything. And the, the really... Some of the great benefits with that is it allowed us to flat pack. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also allows if the customers, if the dog chews their arm off, you can we can send them just an arm and they can put the new arm on. Mm. So it really, that just kind of, that was that one fastening system. I mean, everything needs a fastening system, but that one thing that just changed the whole product line. You know, cleaned it up aesthetically, but it also like I said, you know, allowed for flat pack and replacement parts and customer assembly. And, you know, cause you can't just like Ikea, you can't ship all this stuff big and assembled. You'd be shipping air, yeah, um, which is ex- ex- expensive. Expensive. Right. And it doesn't fit with your, your carbon footprint no. plan. No, no, it doesn't. I'm interested in the name lol. And how you came up with that, yeah. because you call yourselves modern lollygaggers. And I would just love to know what the heck you mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to give a nod to our graphic designer, Jesse Michaels, who really, when you look at our graphic design, you know, that's Jesse. And Brian King is on the law side and Jesse's on the Epicurean side. Jesse, it's kind of funny. When he was 17, he was our very first employee. And now he's got a wife and three boys and he's 37. Yeah. So, and he's still with us and, mm-hmm. and he went to college for graphic design, but he just, in the summers, he'd go do skate ramps. But anyway, Jesse, when we started law, he thought of the word relax and he looked up a synonym for relax and he saw law. And of course that being a graphic designer, he just liked how it looked. Sure. And so he's the one, he's the one who came up with law. You know, Jesse's style is, is very clean and, and you know, I have to give, him a lot of credit for the look in a lot of our things. Again, you know, that's that collaborative thing, you know, where we all, we got a great team and we, we just, we keep refining things until it feels right. So would you say the modern lollygagger is like somebody who appreciates good quality design, is concerned about the planet, but likes to sit around outside and drink some beers every once in a while? That's exactly it. We, <laughs> we say that we, we say you're loosely tight. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> you're serious about work and you're, you know, you're serious about your play, but you're really serious about your lollygagging, you know, and you're just that you're, you're going to sit on your deck and you're enjoy that beer. And, but you, but you kind of earned it. You know, that's us too. That's, that's how we are. It's not certainly not like couch potato. Yeah. You know, that's not right. what we think of a lollygagger. You know, it's, it's someone who's, who's active and appreciates that, that rest time. Yeah, has earned it and relishes it and makes the most of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's appreciating design and quality too. You know, that's starting to become maybe more a customer on a whole, not you know a modern lollygagger. But it, it's a funny term, like loosely tight, because modern and lollygagger to me, lollygagger is such an old use word. And I guess modern's been around a long time, but modern's always moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, and to me, lollygagger sounds like the past a little bit. But it works well. People gravitated to that. You know, when we'd say that, you kind of get a little chuckle like they hadn't really heard that before. Those two words together. And it paints a picture of a of a lifestyle. Right. And it's it's something I want to do. Yeah. I want to go out and do modern lollygagging. That sounds really fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm sure you've done it. I recently saw you holding a can of lollygagger ale. I figured yeah, you have something to yeah. do with that. <laughs> We do. Yeah. Are you in the beer business or was that a charitable project? We um we are slowly working towards the beer business. Um, nice. But not 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 as brewing. So there there's a local two year old brewery in Duluth, um, called Bent Paddle Brewery and they they were founded by two couples and they really know what they're doing. They're they're brewers, they had roots here in Duluth, they were out in the world. And they came back here to start a brewery. You know, they love Duluth, but one of the main reasons is because of the Lake Superior water is so great for brewing mm. beer. Awesome. And, and so they, they came back here and we met them at, as they're setting up their brewery and they needed tap handles. So we started designing a tap handle with them. And so we're their tap handle provider. But there's also a 20-year-old brewery in Duluth called uh, the Brew House. Which, especially in Minnesota, it's a, a landmark, really well-known brewery. You know, 20 years ago to start a craft um, brew pub in in Minnesota was pretty unique. Yeah, it's pretty visionary. It is, and and that was some guys who are, are good friends of mine. And and we originally for them we made these beer flights. You know, when you get mm-hmm. when you want to sample the beers, mm-hmm. and then um, originally they were using the the round kegs that have kind of a ring around them. And we made these keg stackers out of the plastic. So you put a keg stacker on the floor and then you can set four kegs on it on their side. Oh. And then you put another keg stacker on top of that and you can stack kegs up, you know, to the ceiling. Yeah. So you're, you're getting into the beer accessories and beer storage exactly. business. Yep. So we, <laughs> we, but we're not, you know, you go to our website and we're not, really, we're not selling anything. It's really directly with the breweries or the brew pubs. And, mm-hmm. and so we've done really just in Minnesota, but we've done a lot of work, you know, with beer flights and we're, we're now, we're working on a third brewery on a third tap handle. So we're, we've already, we're doing, we're the supplier for two right now. There's a new brewery restaurant in Minneapolis called Surly. And we, it's a, it's an amazing brewery. It's, it's, they call it the destination brewery, but you go there and you're just kind of like, wow. You know, and this is like, this is craft beer on, on, uh, I don't know what I want to say on, I didn't want to say on drugs, but on like steroids, <laughs> that, that's better. 
which are still drugs. Um, but um, so I think we get what you mean. <laughs> yeah. But one of the fun things that we're doing now is we're, we're doing outdoor patios. So we're like at Surly, we did all, all the outdoor furniture in their patio. Mm-hmm. And to think if you Googled the Surly brewery, you'd see what I mean. It's over the top. And so to, to work on that project and do their, their outdoor um, furniture and we did it's all unique like we custom designed this stuff for them and we, we've done another in Duluth and then we're, we're working with another brewery in Minneapolis right now on their outdoor patio and just kind of doing a custom outdoor space that must be fun it's super fun you know yeah. and it's like so we like we like beer we like craft beer we especially like IPA and I'm saying we I'm kind of throwing everyone on the bus but you know, not everyone has the same taste, but there's a lot of IPA drinkers around here. And yeah, to work with them and, and really, you know, try to make a great outdoor space. It's just, it's fun. And, you know, our product works well for that. Yeah. For filling beer on it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just wipe <laughs> it off. <laughs> yep. Close it down. <laughs> so I love hearing about all these interrelationships in the area. Like you're part of the creative, you know, landscape of Duluth and Minneapolis. It's a hotbed of creative action in Minnesota now, and you guys are a big part of it, but it's a whole community. What's going on there? Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think some people you'd say, well, we're locked up inside all winter, you know, we're just thinking of stuff. And there's probably some of that, but there's certainly, there's kind of this maker craft movement that's going on and it's been going on for a long time. And of course other places, Um, but it's certainly happening here and it's, the people that are, are kind of in it, you know, we, we are sort of our eyes meet from across the room or something, you know, but we just start drawn to each other. And we sounds so romantic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, like the Faribault Woolen Mill is a great example. It's this 100 plus year old woolen mill. They make wool blankets. And we met them and now we have a wool poncho. You know, my addition to their wool blanket was, well, we got to cut a slit in the middle. So it's a poncho. Yeah. I like Clint Eastwood movies. And so (laughs) they hadn't done that before. You know, so that was kind of fun. And so we have a Lal, Faribault, you know, co-branded poncho blanket. And And that's a perfect accompaniment for when it gets a little chillier, but you still want a lollygag. Well, yeah. Like a hardcore gangster. (laughs) That wasn't lost on us. But there's definitely very collaborative and cooperative group, you know, of people making things and we're all trying to do, you know, craft and quality, you know, even, even some really great restaurants where they're so serious, you know, they, they're buying local produce, they're growing it, you know, on their roof. They've got tilapia tanks. You know, this is one in particular in Duluth, you know, he's got trying to really get this closed loop thing going and, and, you know, just really serious about a quality Mm -hmm. product and a, a unique experience. And that's called the Duluth Grill. It's kind of fun. You go to places like that, whether it's products or food or beer, and you recognize that uniqueness mm-hmm. to it. And it's special. And people are people care about it. You know, they're not, it's not just a commodity and just units. Even still, you have to make money to do that and progress and do more. Right. So, I mean, certainly you have you got to profit. But there's, it's kind of how do you get there? You know, how do you get that, that dollar in your pocket? So what are you looking forward to? What's coming down the pike for Lal Designs or for Greg Benson specifically? Well, really short term, I'm going to Whistler with my family, skiing and snowboarding on Saturday. Oh, nice. We just, we have such a long list of products that we 
want to make and there's things I'm really genuinely excited about making and like seeing it. You know, we have a couple more sofa collections that we, we know what they are. Like there's sketches. We know what they are. We just got to make them. And, and a lot of other products too, like our, our whole Rapson collection, we have more pieces that we're working on for that. And that's just exciting to me. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think just growing this company it has been really fun. And right now we did back in True Ride days, we had a steel shop and we fabricated steel and we haven't been doing that with law and we really want to start fabricating steel. So that we're getting closer to that. We're, you know, we're talking about it and making our own. And that's just exciting for me to, like, to have a steel fab shop again. Yeah. Sounds really cool. Yeah. How do you want people to find you? What's your website? And do you guys have active social media presences? So, you know, we have a Twitter and Instagram and Facebook page. And, of course, our LOL Designs is our website. That's the best way to, to find us, you know, LOL directly. Okay, great. But, other, you know, our, our two big retailers, Room and Board and Design Within Reach, are good places to see our product. And we have a lot of really great independent retail shops around the country. And you can find those on your website? Yep, there's a list there. One really exciting thing we've been working on is working internationally. So we've had a distributor in Australia for a while, but just this past summer, we went to Mexico and literally interviewed eight different potential distributors and picked one, oh. um, Mui in Guadalajara. And it, and then we were just in, in Amsterdam and we found someone there. Oh, that's exciting. Called Dax. Oh, it's really exciting. And, and yeah. I know. And, and the UK, Surface Matter, is a is our distributor there so we're that's really fun like to you know really get out and work with people that talk differently than i do yeah you know and and but just it's just fun it's like we're doing well in the united states and canada but we weren't doing a lot in mexico and it's just it's it's fun to for work be able to go work with someone else and, and build a relationship you know in other countries and that's something i'm looking forward to more i, I really want to go to Scandinavia. That's kind mm. of my roots and heritage. And I'm looking forward to that for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for sharing so much of yourself and of your trajectory and your story with us. That was, this yes. has been really great. Really yeah, appreciate You're it. welcome. I, I appreciate your interest in law and me too. I'm a, I'm a little flattered. By that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. So, I'm glad, glad you're flattered. But th- thank you very much. I really uh, appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Take it easy. That Greg is such a nice guy, right? Midwestern nice is what he called it. Yes. And he is definitely the guy I would love to sit around lollygagging with, having a beer, just chilling, you know. Yeah, totally. He knows how to do it right, I bet. Yeah, no, I've seen them in their booth at trade shows. They sit around, they chill out. It's very relaxed. It's fun. You go up, you have a seat. You feel like you're in somebody's backyard. It's great. You know what I love about their booths at trade shows is they almost seem to be demonstrating the art of lollygagging, <laughs> right? They always have refreshments. They do. <laughs> they're, they're consummate hosts. There's ample seating. And they show you how to just not sweat it and lollygag right. I think it's super cool that without, you know, technically any formal business training, he seemed at first like just a kid, you know, working for Rollerblade and then building skate ramps. But every step of the way, he's kind of building his business acumen and making really shrewd decisions. And 
you know, his commitment to ecology has been unwavering through it all. And his decision to stay in Minnesota, I think, is also really important. You talked about that too, right? Well, we talked to a lot of designers. You know, a lot of them grew up in a small town somewhere and then they ended up migrating to a big city. And he didn't do that. He just grew kind of organically with the businesses that he was building in in his hometown area. He seems like that's a place where he's set down his roots and he has a solid foundation and he's really supportive of the area. He's, you know, contributing to the communities around him. So he has like this really strong connection. And I think it's incredibly admirable. I think so, too. And I think that it's really important, this idea that you don't have to grow up and then go to where the design is. You make the design wherever you are. And he's chosen Duluth as an ideal place for him, for his lifestyle, for his family, for everybody involved in the businesses. And he's building what seems to me like the friendliest empire possible. (laughs) I know, three companies, those guys have their hands full, but it seems like they're really enjoying it. Yeah. And everybody around them is benefiting from it, too. So that's exactly. Here's to life, Greg Benson. Cheers for doing what you do. Yeah. I'm I'm raising a beer to you right now. (laughs) Well, that does it for this episode of Clever. Go subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and sign up for our email newsletter at cleverpodcast.com. Yeah, you can find us on the web at cleverpodcast.com. That's where our show notes are. You can see images of Greg lollygagging and of lol designs. And you can also join us on social media. Uh, We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Clever Podcast. This episode of Clever was edited by Chris Modell of Your Studio with music by L1011. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.